0: Good evening. Um, before we begin tonight's class, I want to uh, dedicate the class. Um, the year was sponsored, actually, actually by Naomi Teig. May Hashem bless her uh, with abundance. A very, very special good year for her. Chasimatova, Gamar Tovah. May you be inscribed in a wonderful, good year with much, much bracha, much, much basil. Only, only good things for you. And your um, and, and all that you uh, want to share your blessings with, abundant blessings, and only only happiness. Okay, thank you so much. The other, um, I also would like to dedicate this class uh, today, uh, Tuesday. I mean, what's say Thursday. I'm so confused. This whole week is such a confusing week. <laughs> I think it still feels like Tuesday today. Uh, today on Tishrei is the birthday of two of my children. So I want to dedicate the class to both of them. Um, my older daughter, my second daughter, Yeti. So this should be a chus for her. Hashem should bless her with all the blessings. She used to was here this year coming to the classes, but now she's back in the Holy Land. Um, and my son, Mendy, whose bar mitzvah was today. So, blessings to Mendel, and blessings to Z, Ziz- and blessings to Zisel, to Yeti, I mean, and Zisel too should be a blessing, But for their both of their birthdays, and may Hashem shine upon them in, in, in every way. Okay, now that that was done, we are ready to start learning. Var inyan yaima now for those who are wondering, we didn't really make um, our bar mitzvah party yet because it's right in the middle of everything, so that's going to be um, after the holidays but the actual day of the bar mitzvah was today okay, tonight we're going to learn a very special mimer, um, just from hearing the heading of the discourse it already tells us how special it is Lavar in to explain the idea of Yom Kippur so imagine the Alter Rebbe says, I'm going to tell you in one discourse, the idea of Yom Kippur it's got to be pretty awesome. Kos of one Pasuk says, Shabbat Shabbat Hu In regards to Yom Kippur, one verse says, it is a complete resting for you. Kos of in another verse says, It is a complete resting for you. So what's the difference of the two Psukim? Two verses. The difference is that one of them, it says, Hu and the other one, it says he One is masculine and one is feminine. Yom Kippur is a complete resting. He is for you or she is for you. We know that some days are referred to in the in the in the um, masculine, and some days are referred to as feminine. ayom Azeh is referred to in the in the masculine. Sometimes it says, Hazos. Especially tonight, Halayla Hazos. So, over here too, we're referring to a day, and sometimes it's referred to as, this day is Hulachem, it is a rest day for you, but it says in male, or it says, she is a rest day for you, or he is a rest day. So what's the difference between the two? In the Amr Ezal, so understanding this, in the Amr so we know Yom Kippur is the ultimate Shabbos. It's the Shabbos of all Shabbos. There is the of the year, and Yom Kippur is a double Shabbos. So he they behold Amr The Sages tell us, Ovid al Mitzvah sasei someone transgresses a positive commandment, and he does tshuva he doesn't walk away from where he is until he is totally forgiven if a person transgresses a mitzvah he missed putting on tefillin one day he missed saying the Shema, he overslept he took a nap you know, in the afternoon, late afternoon and he didn't wake up, he planned on taking a short nap, he didn't wake up till the morning and he forgot to say the Shema he didn't say the Shema, so he was and it's a positive commandment that you should read the Shema in the morning and at night. You missed it. Or you wake up late and you miss the time of the Shema. That's, even if you read the Shema, but if you're reading it after the time, you miss the Mitzvah. So what happens? You feel a regret. You feel a contrition. You verbalize it. And you say that you're going to be more careful from now on. You say you confess. You say, I made a mistake. And I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen again. I want to make sure that if I go to sleep... And I'm very tired. I have an alarm clock on or something to make sure to wake me up on time. Something like that. So as soon as you do that, you ask for forgiveness, you're forgiven. On the spot. There's not a trace left over of your sin. Totally forgiven. However, but if someone transgresses a prohibitive commandment, something that God said you should not do, Shem said you're not allowed to do that on Shabbos. And a person violated and did what they were not supposed to do on Shabbos either right, or any other prohibition something wasn't kosher and they ate something that wasn't kosher or any of the like so then what do we say tshuva toila tshuva begins the process but it doesn't complete the atonement Chuva you should do chuva immediately you should repent and make a firm res- resolution never to do it again but you're not forgiven yet. What the tshuva does is, according to most opinions, tola means it keeps the it keeps the punishment from happening. It stands as a wall, preventing that God forbid, one should not be punished for the sin that they've done. But you have to wait until Yom Kippur. Then Yom Kippur, then Yom Kippur comes. Yom Kippur completes the atonement. Completes the atonement. So we have to understand this. How come for a missing a mitzvah, for a violation of a positive commandment, it doesn't require Yom Kippur? You can get atonement immediately. U'la to understand this. So a mitzvah say adifa, a positive... So what's the problem? This. What does this tell you? This tells you that a prohibitive commandment is a more serious commandment, and therefore the violation of it is harder, more difficult to correct. So you have to wait until Yom Kippur to correct it. Just can't correct it during the year. Only when Yom Kippur comes it can be correct. So that would tell you that from the two, a positive commandment, a prohibited commandment, which one is a stronger commandment, uh, a, a prohibitive commandment? But he says that's not the case. Because we know when these two mitzvot, when these two mitzvahs clash with each, with each other, When a positive commandment goes up against a prohibitive commandment and they're clashing with each other, the positive commandment overpowers the prohibitive commandment and it pushes it to the side. And you're told to do so and so even though you're going to violate. For example, the classical example, you're supposed to put wool tzitzis on your... The the fringes have to be out of wool. Why have to be out of wool? Because the chelas, the blue wool, dye the blue, which we don't really, most people don't have today on their tzitzis. You can only dye it on a a blue, on on, a wool. You can't use any other type for tzitzis. So it has to be wool. Now, what happens if someone has a garment of four corners made out of linen? So the halacha is, they should put tzitzis out of wool. Even though wool and linen is a prohibition, the mitzvah of wearing tzitzis overrides and overrules the prohibition of wearing shotness of not mixing wool and linen. Today's days we don't do that, because afraid person might wear it at night when you're not obligated. You know, there's certain the rabbis didn't want us to do this, but in conception, the mitzvah to wear tzitzis will overpower the prohibition against wearing shotness, and the same is in many other things when there is a conflict between a positive commandment, prohibitive commandment, positive commandment is, is more powerful and, and pushes to the side the prohibitive commandment. So what does that show you? That a positive commandment has more muscles than a prohibitive commandment. Stronger. If so, how come to rectify a positive commandment that was neglected is easier than to rectify a prohibitive commandment? it pushes away Okay. So in order to understand this, we have to look wait all the way to the end of the discourse. Before that, let's understand in general what does tshuva, what is chuva? In it says in the pasuk. Yom Kippur we know is a day of chuva. What is chuva? it says in the pasuk, shuva Allah, he returned to me. Hashem says, return to me and I will return to you. What does that tell you? That not only are we supposed to do tshuva, but God also does tshuva. You turn to me and I will turn to you. That's chuva. So tshuva can't just happen on our end. It has to be together with Hashem. We're doing tshuva and He's doing tshuva. Simultaneously we do tshuva. There's another pasach, it says another pasach. Hashiveinu Hashem elecha. Return us to you. Shuva, and we will do chuva. So here too, it implies you return us, which means Hashem is also engaged in this process of tshuva. al mashal. What is the? So what does this say? What is the tshuva that's coming from our end and from God's end? Shuvah al derech mashal. The, the meaning of tshuva over here really means turning to be face-to-face. Turning to be face-to-face. That's so rich. It's so, it's, so, it's, so, it's so meaningful. Tshuva means to turn around and face God. And God will turn around and face you. You're looking at each other face-to-face. At times, we have relationships. We have many relationships with people. And we all, can, we all can identify, we all can find within our lives people that we were once very close to. We had like a deep connection to. We needed to really share something deep, intimate, special. It was the first person we called if we heard tremendous good news. It's the person we called when we had a problem. And we want to, you know, sit with that person and talk to that person and connect to that person. And then, for whatever reason, something happened people or people and someone got offended slighted insulted something happened that came in and caused a a certain a certain a certain breakage in the relationship and maybe you try to repair it a little bit said I'm sorry, you sent a text sorry, this, that just not comfortable anymore with each other Not the same. You see each other, hello, you shake your head. Maybe you avoid seeing the person. And it becomes icy and it becomes cold. And maybe it's not like, you know, you're in a fight where you're going at each other. It's just that the person is off your mind. And you'll go and you build other relationships with other people and other things. But that person is no more that deep connection that you've once had. And that's called, you've gone from being face to face. To being back-to-back it's a coldness there's not face-to-face means your inner life is about that human being about that relationship and in tshuva, in tshuva <coughs> that, that's what we have to do with a God if to come back then Hashem should be like the deepest thing our deepest desire is to look at Him to speak to Him to connect to Him so truth is not about, oh, I'm bad, I'm this, I'm bad. These are all barriers. If they get past the barriers so you can stand and feel close, Hashem. Feel, Hashem love. feel Hashem's love. And feel that if you ever have a problem, it's like sometimes we become so scarred because we're full of guilt because of the sins that we do. And when we used to have a problem, we would take out a tehillim and we would talk to Hashem and pour our heart out. Now we like feel like God doesn't want to see me, so I don't even want to do that. So I, I, I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not even taking, I'm not even turning anymore like I used to turn. I used to feel like I can talk to Hashem all the time. Can't do that anymore because I know He's upset at me because I know I let Him down so many times. So there's like this, this discomfort, this uchiness. You don't have anymore that openness that you could just turn to him, pick up the phone, talk to Him whenever you want. And that's what we have to get back to. That's Tzivos Get back face to face with Hashem. But that can only be if we obviously will say to Hashem we're taking Him seriously. We can't say that I'm going to continue offending you. I'm going to continue neglecting you. I'm going to continue doing everything you dislike and yet I feel like you know, you love me and therefore I want to be in a close relationship. Obviously that's insane. So it takes clearing, clearing a little bit, you know, fixing, taking care of of business to clear up whatever is there that's in between so that you can restore the relationship to face to face. That's the idea. Because it says in the oirev, it says they have turned to me their backs. Simply it means that Hashem is complaining that we turn our backs to him. Veloi and not our and not our face. So he's going to explain how that applies to Hashem. I mean, to us we understand. If if Hashem is off our if Hashem is not in our minds, and if we're not taking Him seriously, if His mitzvahs are not something that we're are important to us, all the other things in our lives become take precedence over learning, davening, doing mitzvahs, over our Yiddishkeit. That means that we're giving God our back. We're not giving Him our front. We're not giving Him our face. Our face represents. Our, what we're excited about, what our passion is, what our interest is. It's not being given to God. We're giving Him our back. Maybe we're doing Him a favor once in a while. You know, we're running God an errand. You know, Like a freelancer. If we have extra time, we'll do something for Him. Uh, that's, that's called giving Hashem our back. It's not our face. What does it mean on God's end? Hashem, Hashem also turns away from a person. But what does it mean that God turns away from a person? So he says like this, even at the time of a sin it's not saying it's not possible to say that Hashem went away from us Generally, we always feel about being far or being close when we're learning Torah and we're doing mitzvahs and we're very observant very involved very engaged it's called being close God forbid we're doing bad when we're doing bad when and we're not doing good we feel and on that we say that the person went far, far. He's far, far away from Yiddishkeit. Far, far away from God. But it's not possible to say far from God. Because God is everywhere. There isn't a, 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 a speck in the universe that is not filled with God's presence. It's not, so therefore it's not... That Hashem has distanced the human being in a literal sense, that Hashem has pushed the person far away. It's because Hashem's glory fills the entire earth. There's no place that is devoid from Him. So He's everywhere. And Hashem is the one who gives a person energy. If Hashem went away from the place, if Hashem went far from the person, then we would be, we would be obliterated. We couldn't possibly exist our entire existence, our soul and even our body, the very material of our, of our hands and feet and substance and bones and sinews and, and flesh and skin and, and, and skin and everything that we have, anything that makes us who we are, is only because Hashem is, Hashem is making it every second. So if Hashem would depart from us, we wouldn't exist. So he says even when a person is sinning, even when a person is doing a act that's totally against God, God at that very moment is keeping him in mind and God is creating him, sustaining him, giving him life, taking care of that person. So, Even at the time, literally at the sin, mamish. but, so what do we mean when we say that the person went far from God? What does it mean that the person went far from Hashem? It's by way of analogy. It's like two people. They are standing next to each other. The kid of Makam. They're very, very close to each other. This one turns his face this way. And this one turns his face this way. Two people, they're so close to each other. is just inches apart. Yet One is sitting they're sitting back to back. One is faces that way, one is facing the other way. They're not talking. See that two people in shul? Got into a fight the previous Shabbos, and each one thinks, "What do you mean? I'm not. I'm not going to go away from my place. Let him go away because the guy happens to sit next to him." So he says, "He let him go." away the guy says, "Let him go away." So he sits down in his seat. The other guy sits down in his seat, but like lazy, you're sitting. He's sitting like this, and the other one is sitting like that, and and they're not going to say hello to it, even though they're sitting so close to each other, they're like millions of miles away. A husband and a wife get into a car. They're going for a romantic getaway. They're very. This is like they haven't gone on a vacation for a very long time. They're all excited. They get into the car and they're like really like finally they get away from the kids. They're really excited to spend time together, sitting side by side, very close, and they get off and they're excited. It's like such a special time. They're talking. There's like a real deep connection and a real deep love. Then she asks him if he took along something that she had asked him to take along. He forgot. Why did he forget? Because other things on his head. But she sees it as a total offense because he, what's it called again? He, she's not important because she asked him to do so. He was supposed to remember, and this is important to her. So she says, You know, I always ask you to do things, and you never, you know, you're always, you're, you're never, you know, and he's, all, right, and he's all, what do you mean I never? And before you know it, there's like this, they're very upset at each other. And she's so angry, and he's mad that she's accusing him. And suddenly they continue driving, and they're so upset, and they're sitting side by side, and they're not talking. She's looking out of that window. She's on her phone. Whatever, he's looking out of there. He's making believe he's just into his driving. And they'll sit like that for an hour or two. <laughs> they're so close, yet they're so far away. And, 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 it just can, and this can happen in a minute. See? The hearts can be so close to each other, and then in a minute of like, whatever, and suddenly they're so distant and so far. And even though essentially they love each other, it's not like, you know, they hate each other. There's a deep love. But right now they don't feel that closeness. They, he's very frustrated with her. She's very frustrated with him. And they don't, they don't want to talk. They don't want to be connected. They don't want to shear their time together. God, of course, loves us all the time. And we love Hashem all the time. Yet, sometimes we do things that are very offensive to him. And he gets insulted. And what does he do? So he's standing right over here. He's sustaining you. He's giving you life. It's like the husband is still driving the car where she wants to go. He's still doing it. But his heart isn't there. His desire, he's thinking to himself, why did I take this vacation? I knew this might happen. <laughs> why do I need to do this. So, like, But even though he's still doing it. So he's going through the motions, but there's no heart, there's no love, there's no excitement, there's no connection. So Hashem continues driving the car, He continues driving your life, and giving, sustaining you, giving you everything, but you're not His man. You know, It's the tzaddik, the person who's doing what Hashem wants. That person, Hashem, is engaged in a deep relationship. Hashem is a veer. He's giving life with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his desire. And this person who, is, neglect, who you know, is not taking Hashem seriously, even though Hashem continues to give him, he's receiving energy like Hashem gives to all the klipa. How does Hashem give life to the klipa? He doesn't want to sustain it, but he has a reason that he keeps it going for a reason. So too, Hashem is giving this person life as well. He might even give him a bunch of parnasa because he committed to it already on Rosh Hashanah. Hashem made a commitment, Rosh Hashanah, to give him a parnasa. Hashem will continue giving it, the checks will keep on coming, the parnasa will come. But God's warm gaze of his eyes, his love, that you're his most precious being in, in, in the world, isn't there now. Because Chas Why? Because we turned away and became, we went out of the relationship. As soon as we turn out of the relationship, he turns out of the relationship. And that's what happens. So, what happens? They don't have a closeness of heart. They don't feel that, the warm connection of the heart. They don't even want to talk to each other. And that's what happens. Why is it that sometimes we don't feel like we're in trouble, we need something, and we don't feel comfortable turning to Hashem? Really we should be able to turn to Hashem all the time. And we all know that. Sometimes we feel we did something really bad, and then we don't feel like like Hashem wants to hear me. So, we don't have that same feeling of openness. That's because of this back to back relationship. So, this is what these 10 days of tshuva is all about. Now we have to clear all that. What people call it, Tarzan, called clearing the. Uh, hmm? No, clearing the air, I think. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a lush that people say. You know, I want. To, we want to clear the. Sometimes when a person has a grudge against someone else, he says, "Come, I want to talk to you. I want to clear the." There's, there's a there's a word. I forgot what it's called. Huh? that's not now it's not cleaning the slate. What? There's such a length a word. Let's clear the. Um, hmm. The air. the air, I think. Could be it's clearing the air or something like that, and that's what it is that we do on Rosh Hashanah. We clear. We clear. William Kipper, this is the work. You have, to, you have to come back to feel Hashem's love, and we have to feel that we love, because that's the truth. The truth is Hashem is the love of our life. It's the, love that the deepest love we have is to God. God is the source of our entire existence, the source of our soul. And Hashem loves us, that's the truth more than anything else. But when that is not felt, because something got in the way, so we have to clean that. Now, to understand this in Hasidic terms, not in romantic terms, like we spoke till now, but to understand this in Hasidic terminology, means to have a richer, deeper understanding of what's going on. In Yuvam Masha will understand this by, because you know, the theme that he's going to explain is that um, this turning face to face has many levels in it. Many levels in it. Of course, a person can turn away from being totally icy and cold to God, and which comes through sins. Become completely disconnected. God is totally not inside my life. I don't care about Him. I'm not thinking about Him. I'm not out of my mind. Completely mindless about, about Hashem. Sadly, that can happen. And then there has to be, of course, a tshuva to come back to into the relation, totally out of the relation. But then there's another Indian A person is still very observant, very involved, never does an avera. But the, a person becomes a little too much. A yid's life is supposed to be his Torah and his mitzvot. That's supposed to be our life. And when that stops, ceases to be, because we become so we become so in, 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 engulfed, involved, distracted by earning a living by making money and stuff like that and that is on our mind 24-7 Hashem is not that much there even though we still go through the motions and maybe even so there has to be a tshuva from that that Hashem becomes the focus it's like in every relationship every relationship husband and wife get fall in love they get married He's thinking about her all the time, she's thinking about him. He can't wait, she, she calls Picks up the phone immediately, He's so excited to talk. This is his Kala calling. This is his bride. He just got married last week. He's so excited to talk to her. <laughs> Wait five months later. Oh, it's her again. <laughs> she's going, oh, she's, she's, she's stop, stop nagging me. Right? And because, you know, everybody gets involved. And it's not like he doesn't love her. He really does love her, but you know, it it's it, 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 it becomes there's a certain staleness that goes into the relationship has to be refreshed from time to time. It's to come back to feeling that you really are the most important person in my life. And I think it's so he gets caught up with all of his businesses and his money and this. And she says, you know, am I still important to you? Or is it all about you, you know, outdoing your neighbor and getting the fancier car because you so you need to, you know, make more money and stuff like that and have this. So he really says, but I'm really doing all that because I really want you to be happy so you can Yeah, but you forgot about me. Alright, so that's what happens? So, of course, a yid is involved in Gashmias. Why? So that I'm involved, I want to make a lot of money, so I can give a lot of tzedakah. True. But then we forget about God, and it becomes all about, you know, and we have very little time to spend in shul because all I want is to make more money. So there's a chuva from that as well. And in a sense, he's going to explain every Shabbos is tshuva. Because during the weekday, we are... During the weekday, what are we doing? We're racing after, we're engaged, involved in the material, physical world, and Hashem is not the only; He's not at the at the at the forefront of our consciousness all day long, and and that's the way it's supposed to be. We have to, we can't be. If a person has Hashem all day in front of his eyes, he couldn't make a living. So the person has to be involved in the world. Hashem wants us to be productive and involved. Problem is, it gets, it pulls us too much into it. Come Shabbos. So, during the weekday, we, we, we sort of get back-to-back. Back. Come Shabbos. What happens on Shabbos? We do tshuva. We turn around. The whole, we put the whole world aside. Shabbos L'Hashem. This is a day. And what is Shabbos really supposed to be? Not Shabbos a day where you sleep on, in bed all day long and eat tshalant. Shabbos is a day where you focus more on Hashem. You learn. You have a little slower davening. You meditate. Even when you eat, you're supposed to sing songs, which... Are spiritual and make you spiritually connect to Tasha, and then study some more, and then daven some more. Like that, that's what Shabbos is. Day of connecting. So it's a day of coming from back to back, back. That's why Shabbos. The words Shabbos is the same letters as Tashav Chuva. Shabbos is chuva. is turning back face to face. Yom Kippur is the Shabbos of all Shabbosim. Because as much as we turn to God on Yom Kippur and like say goodbye to... I'm sorry. As much as we turn to God on a regular Shabbos, we say goodbye to the world and we focus in on Hashem, we only depart from the world on a regular Shabbos to a certain degree. We don't completely abandon the world because we still have a body to take care of. We still have three meals. We're still involved with the physical to a certain degree. Comes Yom Kippur, we turn to Hashem completely. There's no body It's like we completely exit our bodies because everything that relates to the physical body is forbidden. And one is completely devoted 24 hours only. Hashem, I love you. Hashem, I want to be in your embrace. That's Yom Kippur. The deepest intimacy for a full day. Shabbos, Shabbos, and it's the highest turn. But he's going to explain over here, as we turn to God on Shabbos, as we turn away from the world and turn to face Hashem on Shabbos, Hashem as well is also occupied, just like we're occupied. See, the deepest thing in Hashem, the deepest MS, the highest thing, is the relationship between God and Israel, in our source up there. That's the most powerful romance there is, the most powerful love, the deepest union, the deepest love that there is in existence, is the love between God and His bride, and Knesset, on the Jewish soul. During the weekday, we turn face back-to-back, to back. God gets busy creating the world. We get busy working in the world. Shabbos Hashem stops creating. And where does He go? Where does He travel to? When Hashem, He goes back into Himself. When Hashem goes back into Himself, nothing exists. The worlds don't exist. The only thing that exists is His love to His bride. Just like when a person shuts his business down and his world down, he turns and there's nothing else there anymore but his family. See what's going on? What's important? When Shabbos comes and there's no more business, there's no more anything. So when I'm alone, who's important to me? Not my clients, not my customers, not my... And that's the way it should be. There's nothing else now but my family. It's Hashem too. When He turns away from the world, where does He turn? He turns to the Jewish people. Shabbos, we do the same thing. We turn away from the world, we turn towards Hashem. That idea is going to explain over here But what does it mean that Hashem is occupied on Shabb during the weekday? That's called Hashem is involved in acharayim and back stuff. And on Shabbos he turns to be in his face. Let, let's see what that means. be yizeh uh, this will be understood. But cause of this, that it says, v'shamru b'nei Yisrael The Jewish people observe the Shabbos. The emphasis over here is that v'shamru b'nei Yisrael es Shabbos that Yidden observe Shabbos, it means to say that the Jewish people have a particular, should observe Shabbos, that Dafka Bnei Yisrael should observe Shabbos. There's a special connection of being Yisrael. And we know, Shabbos is called our twin. And the rest of the world doesn't have Shabbos. It's so amazing how God decreed that the rest of the world will not have Shabbos. And it was a decree. Such a decree... That when the other world, the other nations of the world, tried to imitate the Jewish people and said, "This is an amazing idea. We should have one day. We shouldn't be working all days." Everybody saw that it was an amazing idea—a day for even for religious and spiritual pursuit. Hashem did not allow them to take Shabbos. The Muslims went and chose Friday, and the Christians went and chose Sunday, because it's a decree. Shabbos is only between me and the Jewish people, beini or bein bnei Yisrael. Because the day of whatever Shabbos means, it can only connect to a Jew. And we know halachically as well, a non-Jew that keeps Shabbos is punishable by death. That's how serious it is. He's not allowed to keep Shabbos. It's only for the Jewish people. So he's going to explain the depth of that. Because Shabbos, the meaning of Shabbos is that Hashem turns back into, into Himself. All week long, He's involved in externalities. Shabbos, He turns back into Himself. When God turns back into Himself, the only thing that exists is Himself, or anything that's part of God Himself. The only things that are part of God Himself is not the creation. The only thing that's part of God Himself is the Jewish people. We exist higher than creation. We exist even higher than the thought of creation. We are the only ones who exist when God returns back into His private innermost self. Away with all the headaches, away with all the stresses of creation. When Hashem returns back into His most private self as relaxing to Himself, He shuts down His cell phone. God shuts down His phone. doesn't want anybody to bother Him. He doesn't check His emails. He doesn't have any connections to anything. So no one can reach Him. Only the Jewish people. Because He's the only company He wants. Because the only ones who exist in that very private inner place. That's what it says. Hashem says, It's just between me and you. And the Jew has to do the same thing on Shabbos. He has to turn away from everything. And the only occupation in his mind is God. What is the idea of Shabbos? Hashem. That's when Hashem has rested, because six days God created heaven and earth. Hashem had lowered himself, And Hashem contracted himself. He's going to explain what does it mean that God has to rest? Hashem doesn't get tired, he has infinite energy. So what does it mean that he rests? What is the significance that God works during the week and he rests on Shabbos? So what does that mean? So he says, no, it is considered a, 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 a labor. Creation is considered a labor, even though it was nothing for Hashem to create, in the sense that Hashem has to limit his light. See, there's two types of hard work. Sometimes a hard work is because you have to push yourself to like expand your energy. You only have so much energy and you're pushing all your energy out. Sometimes there's another kind of a, 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 a labor. It's con- to concentrate. To concentrate your energy. To, 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 to uh, limit yourself. That can also be a very hard labor. That's what Hashem is doing. If He, al- if he allowed His power and His energy to just emanate as is, boom, a, cre- a finite creation could never come into existence. So what God had to do is restrain himself with utmost restraints and only allow a tiny crumb. Now Here he is, he's plotting, he wants to express himself. He has so much more to give in creation than he really gives. And everybody, And he knows that after he creates the world, everybody's going to turn around and say, Oh, wow, what a magnificent creation. Imagine you have an artist who's got like the most amazing voice, the most amazing voice. He can sing on such a thrilling high note. But the people that are coming are all old people. And if you go up high, and a high thing, it like, will hurt their ears. So he has to choose, like he has to think, happy birthday to him. Here he can perform. And that's what he does. Why? Here he wants to sing uh, a a uh, <laughs> a major piece. But he can't do that. He can only give off a tiny little nothing of his of thing because these people can't receive more than that it's, it's, it's hard work it's hard work for that make that tzimtzum so that's what Hashem has to do he lowers himself down with tzimtzum and he contracts himself in the ten utterances for God to contract this infinite powerful potent energy into these ten utterances let the create a firmament is this really God's true power and greatness that He makes a firmament? in the six days of creation. Live right to create, havois and to bring into being, Ulahachiois and to enliven, Ruach Shafalim, the spirit of the lowly. What does it mean to enliven the spirit of the lonely the lowly? It means everybody. Everything in creation, from the most magnificent beings in the most select and sublime celestial realms and the most unbelievable sophisticated angels sublime angels they're considered lowly beings because they're all finite and compared to an infinite God they're nothing so that's a very big ureda. that's a very big descent now to illustrate the, that descent not, the ten utterances come from the fa- see in order to get even to the place where God can speak these utterances He first has to filter himself through ten filters, which are the ten sefirot. The last and final attribute is called his power of mouth. It's called his power of speech, the ten utterances. So the ten utterances is after filter, after filter, after filter. Until he gets down, as he calls it over here, he gets down to the most external power that he has, the weakest power, as we said before, it's like this magnificent artist, Singing happy birthday, not like with all his chazanis, but with just a tiny little, with you know, not allowing any. So Hashem has to do that. The attribute of kingship is an external element to God, very, very external of that. as it says, and in Malchus itself, the external part of Malchus. It means two things. First of all, the attribute of kingship is, a, is, is the entire attribute of kingship is considered external to God. Secondly, in kingship itself, he doesn't reveal his internal kingship. He reveals only the external element of his kingship, which are the words that are coming from the king. The king is uttering tether-autoruses. is a very, very, very limited, tiny, tiny, infinitesimal, small projection. So much so that it's so insignificant that it's as if he never did anything. To him, it's as if he never created. Because the creations are only being sustained. So now he wants to first prove. He wants to first prove that the creations are only being created and sustained and empowered and driven and run by and controlled by. An infinitesimal nothing of crumb of God's energy. That's the entire power that's the power of the universe, the power of the cosmic order. Nothing more. How do we know that? It says in the Pasuk. Kedek says in the Pasuk, Only your kingship is the kingship of all worlds. That means your power that runs and, and controls all of creation is only your kingship. It's not you, it's your kingship that the coming into being of all the worlds and their sustaining power is only from God's attribute of kingship which is only a ray of him it's not him it's a crumb of his light it's not even a crumb because a crumb means you're breaking off a piece here Hashem is not losing even a tiny bit of who he is by creating The Anashama and it's not like the soul enlivening the body. You'll, you'll think because sometimes we use a comparison, just like the soul enlivens the body. So to God enlivens the world, and the comparison is brought in in Midrash. But we have to understand there's a major distinction. When the soul comes to enliven the body, the soul, even though it's also only a ray of the soul enliving the body, it's not the soul itself, it's only a ray of the soul enliving the body, yet that ray is still deeply connected with the soul itself to the point that the soul wears and tears by being here in this world. To the point that the soul needs major therapy when it leaves this world to get back, to clean itself from its experiences in this world. It has a lot of scars and bruises. Thank God we have Yom Kippur every year and that kind of rehabilitates the soul so that when, it, when, when we pass on after 120, which we will hopefully never have to do because we will live directly into eternal life. Days of Mashiach. But generally, when a soul has to leave this world after 120, had we not had Yom Kippur, then it would be a total mess. Then it would need therapy for a very long time. Baruch Hashem, Yom Kippur comes and we can like cleanse and purify and rehabilitate. So, um, but it does say that's why the Nishama has to go to Gehenim and all other cleansing. It's not punishment. It's therapy. It needs to get out all this muck that it, that it absorbed. And not only that, we know that I'm just I was thinking about this. I was teaching this a little bit of this in the morning today. Even when the has come back into this world for a second round, the past experiences are edged etched, etched in our subconscious that means that it's so that the experiences that we have that we go through in our life leave a deep imprint on the soul that even when the nishama comes back again even though they wipe the hard drive clean before they send the nishama down that's out of the consciousness but in our subconscious we're all carrying along with us past experiences that are etched in our soul and they're there that means that even so say but even though the nishama is enlivening the body only through a ray, still, the Nishama is close enough to the body that the effect the 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 all what, what occurs in the body, for good or for be- for good or for, or for the opposite, leave an imprint on the Nishama. Not so with God and the world. God is not impacted at all by the by the creation. Two things. Not by the occurrences of the creations, what happens to the creations right if there is a major collision between two planets and it causes a massive explosion between two i don't know whatever and it causes this massive explosion that releases who knows how much kind of energy into the into the into the universe doesn't make a dent in god in the power that's creating and another thing in the in the creating let's think about what kind of power was released in the universe to actually create it and make it? We would think that God, at, at the moment when God was creating the world, he was at least occupied in that creation that it like made a difference to him that he's creating now. He's creating the world. He's saying, you no, know, God was sipping coffee when, he was, when, he, when the world was being created, and it, as if it didn't, he didn't flinch nothing happened when the gazillion creations were created it didn't even flinch as if something is happening in, in him himself now it's not show that the worlds were created without his knowledge not only without his knowledge without his will he wanted he willed the creation to happen yet the creation was created only from an infinitesimally small ray a ray that doesn't have any connection to who he really is it's an external ray and therefore, the source of the ray isn't impacted by that. That's why we say in the Pasuk, Ani Hashem Loshanisi, God says, I haven't changed. Nothing changed me. I am exactly who I am. The act of creation didn't change me. Because to God himself, creation was a non-event. Just like a non-event doesn't change. If, if nothing happened, why should he change? Creation was a non-event. Because when creation took place, it was a ray of him that creates the universe. That doesn't mean that he's not mindful and doesn't know that it's happening. We don't understand how we can know and thereby and not change. We don't understand that, but that's the way it is. It doesn't touch him a tiny bit. That's showing how transcendent, removed, infinitely higher God is than the project. That's God Himself. But how about the ray? That little bit, that little tiny ray that does come down to create, sustain, and make the world that ray had to leave let's think about this that ray had to leave its infinite heights as being part of this endless big God and that ray had to contract itself to the limit it had to fit itself to the creations and to the tiniest details of the creations that's where we mean that's exhausting that's tiring it's not to God himself it's to the ray the raise contraction, the raise adapting, the raise diminishment from its infinite. The main exhaustion is to the shina, to the part of God that is descending down into the world to create, to sustain and to create. It has been lowered from where from where it was. Similar to a human being, when a person works, what are you doing when you're working? And why does work work? We become tired when we work. What happens? Because we're taking certain energies that we have and we're contracting them into certain activities. I'm focusing them. I have a power to speak or a power to think or my intellect can go everywhere and I'm focusing it into a particular job. I'm trying to figure out how to put the screw in. And I'm using all my brain power to fit the screw in. I have a very broad, a person has a broad mind. He can think about so many different things. Now all my mind is focused on one thing. And I'm busy with this schmuchka thing. I'm trying and I'm not getting it. I'm trying and I'm not getting it. I'm trying and I'm not. You've had these things where you try to, I don't know, get a little screw in and it's not catching. Or this, or trying to connect something and it's not. Your brain is fully occupied. No one can talk to you. You're totally caught up in this thing. So you concentrate it into it. Finally, either you figure it out, someone else figures out, it gets done, and what do you do? You Sit down, and you flop back. And what are you doing? You're allowing that concentrated energy that went into this tiny little thing to return your brain energy to go back into its greater expansive state where you can think much bigger things and not be stuck in this little, little, little thing. The concentrated into the small thing. That's what happens with God um, Himself. Of course to God Himself creation is nothing. It's not even affecting Him. But because creation is so minuscule and nothing, let's think about that energy that does come into the creation, how contracted and how limited and how defined it becomes from its previous state. Because initially where was the ray? Before the ray becomes the ray of creation, where is the ray? The ray is part of Him as we say that before God created the world he and his name were one his name is that ray the sustaining life force of the world is God's name but before he created the world where was the name? the ray was inside its source like the sun ray inside a source but now it became the life force of a tiny little minuscule creation so that's what he's explaining over here um it's not like the neshama that enlivens the body. The neshama that comes into the body becomes enclosed in the body. To enliven the body. And the neshama gets excited. It becomes impacted. From the occurrences, and the changes that happen in the body. God himself doesn't change from the creation. It says by him. There is no change, God forbid, mitzad because of the multitudes of creations that doesn't make a change in him. and as is also illustrated, how unchanging and unimpacted and unaffected God Himself is from the creation. It says, You are, you are the, you are before the world was created who you're the same one, you're exactly the same after the world is created, without any change. And the reason is, why? Because he's not enclosed in the worlds. It doesn't mean he's not in the worlds. He's everywhere. God himself, himself, not only is Ray. he himself is everywhere. Enclothed means he's not adapting himself to become the energy of the creation he's everywhere because he's everywhere because there's no place where he's not but he's not adapting himself himself to th- become the force behind the tree behind the rabbit behind the planet behind the galaxy he remains infinitely above it what is the force behind the galaxy? what is the force behind gravity? what is the force behind sunlight? the sun's power? Oh, that is God, but that's only a ray of that's God's speech, a ray of Him. Um, He's not enclosed in the world to enliven them. That His very self should be there. It's only an expansion of a ray, an man, and a little ray of Him it has arose in his desire, Leo to be a king over the world, and that ray of his kingship, to be king over them, and this is their life force, and sustains them, this that he calls his name, he says, I'm king over them, that's what brings them into existence, he calls himself, by his name, be called on someone, by God saying, yeah, that's, this, this is my property. That's, that's what creates that property. See, by a regular king, the king being a king of something only adds that the king is overseeing it. It also makes a difference. See, when a king says that this is my, I'm calling my name upon this, if someone is going to come from and, and mess with that property, someone is going to, you know, then the king is going to react. You know, if someone shoots a missile in and it lands in that field, the fact that the king called his name upon it Means that the king identified at that place. But by God, it's much more. When he calls his name on something, that itself creates that something. That itself makes it. Like it says, but it's only a ray. Remember, it's only a ray of him, not him. Now, this ray, considering how unimportant and insignificant and nothing the creation is compared to the infinite creator. This ray has traveled an infinite journey. When we say it has traveled, it means it has mitigated itself. It has diminished itself. It has contracted itself. Infinite levels to fit itself into this universe. This Pasht is due, and this expansion, sheves Yerida, is called a descent. And a really great descent to God himself. to Hashem's real Now let me ask the question. His true existence, his true self, who he really is, above, 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 his infinite self. The creations, all the creations, have no relationship to it. Because that, that's not it's outside of their experience completely. It's outside of their reality have nothing to do with them. To the creations, the only thing that exists is that tiny little, little ray. That's their life source. That's their platform. That's their, uh, that's their source. That's their energy. That's their that's their power. It's almost like that's their God. The greater, infinite, true God, they have no relationship to. Other than this ray is a ray from him. But they didn't even know that. It's so outside of their experience outside of their experience. Just remember, that's an important point. God, the infinite, endless, boundless God, no relationship to any creation whatsoever. Now, what happens on Shabbos? Shabbos, he rests. What does resting mean? So instead of focusing a certain energy downward... See, you just have to remember, when a person focuses his energy into something, the entire person is occupied in it. So when you focus your brain in something, you're completely occupied in it. You're not available for anything else. But Hashem, it's not that way. He is not scathed at all by creation. He's not impacted by creation. But at least that energy that does go down, that is very impacted, that is contracted into the creation. So it's like getting tired. It's getting like... Disconnected from it. So it yearns. It doesn't like being here. It feels trapped in the creation. Shabbos, it returns. He allows the energy to go back. The person relaxing, he he allows the speech, the intelligent speech that he spoke to create the world, to go back. So where does it go back to? It goes back into God's intelligence. It goes back even higher than God's intelligence, because by God, even intelligence is a contraction. Even the level of intelligence, as you're going to see in a minute, even chachma, is part of the part of the contraction to help create a world. God is infinitely beyond chachma, so when He leaves go, He allows the ray to come back in higher, higher, back into its original infinite source. What happens to the creation? what happens to the creation so what happens is like this the creations come along but they don't realize that at this moment they're being sustained by a ray which is lost in its infinite in its infinite source So imagine something like this. I'm drinking a cup of water. Just a cup of water. Now, if I take this cup of water and someone, and I go down to Venice Beach, Santa Monica, I hop onto a motorboat, I go three, 10 miles into the ocean, 10 miles into the ocean. Holding the cup of water. I get into some, I don't know what what kind of diving equipment thing. They lower me down inside a crane, and not in a crane, some kind of underwater like uh, crane kind of a thing. 300 feet, 500 feet down. I'm still holding the cup of water and release me in the middle of the ocean while I'm holding the cup of water. So now this water in the cup. Is there water in the cup? still holding water in the cup. But the cup, the water in the cup is where now? Is this water in the cup still water in the cup? Now the whole cup with the water is part of the big ocean. Obviously, I would understand that. First of all, obviously the water is salty at that moment. It's a different kind of a water. Because the water that was inside got... But let's say the water wouldn't be salty. Let's say the ocean would be clean, crisp,al mountain spring water in the ocean. Just imagine that. So I'm back. It's the water went back into the greater water. At that moment, it's impossible even to see the cup in a sense. But if I'm holding on to the cup, okay. But the cup, the water in the cup is one with the water in the ocean. Now imagine if I'm oblivious to the fact that I was dropped now 500 feet in the middle of the ocean, 10 miles into the ocean, 500 miles deep. And I totally am oblivious. How? I don't know how. But I'm oblivious to it. And, and I still only see the water in my cup. And I don't see the infinite ocean around me, surrounding me. So to me, this, all that exists is still the water of the cup, nothing more. In truth, I'm now swimming in this vast ocean, the water in the cup is not even water in the cup. It's just big, one big ocean. It's completely merged in it. So that's what happens to the world on Shabbos. On the world on Shabbos, the ray returns back into its source. For whatever reason, all the creatures and all the creations don't realize that it goes into its source all the creatures and all the beings in the world only see the ray, continue to only see the ray as if the ray is still independent. Because they don't know the source. They can't imagine the source. They don't understand the source. So even the ray, even though the ray went back into recharge, into its source, the creations that are being sustained by the ray are oblivious to it. So to them, it's still all they, their existence remains totally the same. He signs to the Jewish people. Because the Jewish people are, as he's going to explain in a minute, the Jewish people really in essence come from the ocean. They don't come from the ray. They don't come from... All of creation comes from this little bit of water that's in the cup. That's their, their realm. They don't know the bigger ocean. The Jewish souls are the only creatures that exist within the cup, within the water. Like creatures like everything else... But they once were part of the ocean. So when the water goes back into the ocean, they stop seeing the little cup and the little water that's in it. They're suddenly submerged back into this infinite ocean. Which means the Jewish neshamis, when Shabbos comes and the ray goes back into its source, only the neshamis, only souls, can see the entire and sense the Ein Sof and experience the Ein Sof because they come from Ein Sof. And that's what it means. Hashem goes out from externalities. He goes into his deep, infinite self on Shabbos. Hashem steps out of the tzimtzum. He returns back into his infinite self on Shabbos. And we too, the Jewish neshames, also sense the Sof. And that's what happens to us on Shabbos. Suddenly the world dissolves. That's why it says on Shabbos you have to see that the whole world, all your work was done. Shabbos, what's supposed to happen is you're flooded with godly light. You don't see the creation anymore. You only see God. You don't notice anything else. You're dipped, you're swimming in ain't so flight. In pleasure, in the light of God himself. Because you're returned back into source. That's the idea. But only the Jewish neshama can feel that. Because the Jewish neshama knows intimately the Ein because that's where it comes from. It only got trapped in the ray, just like the ray got trapped. You see, just like the ray got gets trapped down here, so too the neshamis that are connected and hanging and attached to the ray also get trapped in this small little ray existence. But when the ray goes back into its source, along comes the souls also back into source. So now let's read it inside. And the day of it is elevated back into the Pneumius of the Ein Sov. This is called a resting by God. He allows the life to go back into its source. Just like when a person speaks. He's going to explain now why it's called resting. El, el, Elevating, allowing the ray back up into its source is called also resting. Because he says every resting is also elevating. Because when you're not resting, you're projecting your energies into things. When you rest, you allow your energies to leave the things that they were occupied with and to return back to their greater pool of life, which is the person himself. If he gives an example, like a person speaking at the time that you're speaking but you're contracting your intellect especially imagine a teacher who has very very deep thoughts but they have to speak to a very simple crowd so they have to really concentrate their minds into very simplistic words and that can be pretty exhausting when they finish giving this 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 lecture and this talk I sit back and that just allowing them their their seichel to come out of the out of the immature talking that they were talking, the, 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 and 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 allow it back into their sophisticated mind, whatever it is. But when he doesn't want to speak anymore, he stops the and he rests the And then the seichel goes back up to its source. the seichel that was now contracted into speech the intelligence that was up till now contracted into speech, was released to go back into the greater the greater power of chachma, the power of wisdom. But by Hashem, it's more than that. Because when things are going back, they're not just going back into Hashem's mind, because even His mind is, is part of the, crea- the, the creation process. So, and more than this, without an end, the the creative power that's in the creation goes up on the day of Shabbos. It goes higher. How much back does it retract? Higher higher than the level of Chachma. Because Chachma itself is considered like an activity to Hashem. So that everything was made with Chachma. So you see from me that even Chachma is considered an action. Elakamaimar, but rather where does it go back to? It goes back to God's essence that is higher than Chachmah. And on him we say that even though we call him that he's we say about him that he's wise, but it's not with a, with a type of not wisdom that we know. It's not like see the attribute of Chachmah is at least a source to our wisdom. When we say Antu Chakim, you are wise, it means you are not lacking what wisdom gives. But it doesn't mean that you have wisdom, because that's already a definition, and God is endlessly beyond that. And <laughs> not with the knowable knowledge, and that's not referring to. See, chachma of atzilus is called the knowable knowledge, even though it's not known, known to us. Knowledge could come from it, but the chachma of the ein sof, it's it's not at all within the same what we could call chachma, because it's ein sof, but we don't know what it is. And we say that's where things go back to. Okay. When things go back to that higher state, the rest of creation is oblivious to you. You have to say so. See, the rest of creation has no clue that they've now gone, taken a journey from being an infinitesimally insignificant ray that's behind, that's their power. Now the ray is submerged in its source. And therefore they're it's a miracle that they can exist the rest of creation on Shabbos. But the Jewish Nishamas spring to life. Just like the Shechina says, Ah, ah, I'm home again. I'm back in my source. That's what happens to our neshamists as well. Ah, back submerged in God's light. That's how the altar feels Shabbos. Back in the Ein Sof back swimming in God's endless light and the reason is the because the Jewish people arose in God's thoughts what does that mean? creation begins in God's speech so all of creation begins in God's speech but the Jewish people come in of God's thoughts thought is thought is you is, what's thought? thought is the inner you You as you are, not... Speech is the way you're communicating outside. That's creation. Thought is a very private part. You as you are. And when he says thought over here, he obviously has to mean higher than regular thought. Because he says that the retraction on Shabbos is even higher than God's wisdom. Wisdom is higher than thought. Intellect is higher than thought. Thought is only a product of the the intellect. It's words of the intellect. So you have to say, when he says that the Jewish people rise in God's thoughts, as it's explained elsewhere, it means in the highest level of machshava, even deeper than intellect. It really means the Jewish people rise in God's essence, higher and higher. Ukemaimer, and as we say also. When Hashem created the rest of the world, as we said earlier, it came without any effort. It didn't didn't cause God any energy. He didn't lose any energy. Besides when he created the neshama. When he created the neshama, he huffed and he puffed. And he huffed and he puffed. And he huffed and he puffed until he blew the soul out. It totally wiped him out. I know no one is going to say that anywhere. Except for here on Thursday night. But that's the truth. God huffed and puffed the soul out. Meaning he went as deep as he can in himself and pulled the Neshama out. So the soul comes from God's who he really is. And therefore, when the, when the ray but the problem is, he pumped that out into the ray and into the creation. So we are outside of our element. The rest of the world, when they're living in creation, are comfortable because they belong in creation a Jew is restless Jews are crazy Jews are crazy they can't sit for two minutes they're ADD they're HDHD all the time because because deep we don't belong here we don't even belong in this world and the non-Jews also feel we don't belong in this world so they've been kicking us out from everywhere and now they're getting the Syrian migrants if you don't want the Jews I'll give you I'll give you the Arabs right so you see they're getting, they're getting, <laughs> but they, but, but they, but, but the people couldn't figure out what to do with the Jews ever, because we're not part, we, because inherently everybody feels we don't we're not part of this world. We're not. We're put in over here, but we're not here. We're, we're, we're not of the creation. A commandment as it says, you blew into me, a man to one that blows. the sages say something else. They say. Look in three things and you don't come to sin. Stakel says in Pirkei Yavis, look at three things you won't come to sin. One of the things are, may I and from where you come from, where you're going to, and in front of who you're going to give a judgment. So the simple meaning is, the Mishnah then explains, where do you come from? From a putrid drop. Where are you going to? To a place of, of worms and bugs. And and and, and where you gonna give a, 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 a where you gonna make a din v'cheshbon in front of God Almighty? But Chasidis explains that this is a separate phrase, two parts. Yeah, that's two. the beginning is da you should know may ayin b'asa from where do you come from? Read it differently. Don't read it from where do you come from? Da you should know may ayin b'asa. You come from nothingness. You come from the primordial nothingness that's before something. The rest of the world begins in somethingness. You begin in nothingness. You see, God, as he is higher than all the spherot, has no definition. So we call him nothing. And you come from there. That's your essence. You're rooted in the iron, in the non-existent state. So therefore, when the ray goes back up into the nothingness, the ray is, is something. The ray is defined. It's It's last week we spoke, the meaning of yesh mayayin, last week in the shir is, when we said that the ray itself first has to become from ayin yesh, it has to become a something. We asked why is the creation called mayayin, mayash and we learned it in the Myra last week, because first, the, 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 the divine energy has to become a noticeable substance. So, it, so that's yesh. So the rest of the creation is living in that, in that, in that lim- and they don't know the ayin. But not you, not you, Neshama, you soul, you know the iron. You know how ridiculously insane that's. See, and going back to Jews are restless, Jews led every revolution. Jews, see, the subconscious, the Jew doesn't know why. He's just, he's just not happy with the status quo. Something is irking him. Something is. Shh, why? Because Tul Mashiach is not here, and the Ain't Sof is not revealed in this world. There's a, there's a fire burning under his, uh, whatever, under his uh, tachis. Right, that's it. Because he can't, he can't, that's the way it is. That's every Jew. Because you come from ayin. You come from the supernal nothingness. Pirish Yishtet Tzemach Tzedek explains, ayin shuhum makar ha-chachma. is the beginning of the existence. You come from ayin, as it says comes from Ayin. that's the keser. that's the crown that's the ain't-self. it's the, 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 the level of the jewish people is very very high it's higher it's higher than the expansion of god's god's outer kingdom that he he creates the universe. The external part of God creates the universe. All the creations begin over there, but not so you. You're nishama, you're not part of it. You find yourself in it. So you ever see a sea of fish? You ever caught a, quarter, have a goldfish? And you put him in a little cup? Ridiculous when kids come home with the goldfish. Think, poor little goldfish, he has to sit in this little cup of water, swimming around. And the most beautiful thing is when you come to the goldfish... And you pour it into the f- big fish tank. Shh. And it goes for a swim. And imagine taking from the little fi- tank and bringing the bringing the fish, or they sometimes catch these, uh, these, these, these seals or dolphins or whatever it is, and they take them in for, uh, it's injured, they give them, and they let them be there for a while, and then they release them back into the wild, they release them back into the ocean. Shh. That's Shabbos. You ever thought about that Shabbos? Every Shabbos, our nishamas are trapped in, in creation in the world stuck. swims around every two minutes we bang our nose against another limitation boom, boom, boom and it comes Shabbos and the Eber still like brings you back and then nishama can swim back into the ain't self into the ain't self that's where Raju belongs practically what does that mean on Shabbos you can put your talus over your head and you can say for three hours, Nishmas kol chai, Hashem and sense the insult, know, Shama can feel it. And be lost in prayer. Hasidim would be lost in prayer for hours. They would delight in, in, in the sense of God, of the infinite. nemar, and that's why it says, b'nei Yisrael The Jewish people should guard the Shabbos. What does it mean guard it? It means guard the Shabbos that you become holy in His holiness. Because what is God doing? On Shabbos. God too is returning to His holiness. Like this, during the week, He concentrates His energy down into the imminent energy of Hashem that's within the creation, that's not holy. Holiness is not what's imminent, what's present. Holiness is what is transcendent. So, the rest of the week, we can't touch Hashem's holiness. We'll see that later. We'll see that in the rest of the week, we can touch it as well. But generally, it's not really available because during the week, we're living within the narrow alley. We're living in a little narrow alley. We're living in a little crevice, in a little crack of the wall. That's where we live. So, we're not in touch with God's holiness. On Shabbos, Hashem's the energy of the creation returns back into His holiness, into the transcendental, and Hashem says, "Now allow my infinite, holy, transcendent light to shine in your neshama." to return. alokecha to God, your God. God is your power. God Himself is your power. The Ain Soph is your power, and that's called God's face. Hashem's face; He's your power. Uksivan. It says in the pasuk, Yisrael." <speaking in Hebrew> Hashem says, "This is a covenant between Me and the Jewish people." I see it as a sign. Koloymar. <speaking in Hebrew> Hashem is saying, "This is My." It's, these words are unbelievable. <speaking in Hebrew> like me, like them, meaning I'm going back into myself. You come along with me. You have the same Shabbos because you too are coming back into. In the same holiness like I am. It, it, this kamayni kamayim is similar to what it says, Kedoshim Tiyu, you should be holy. So the medrash says, You should be holy? Um, you, we would think you can be as holy as God. And the passage says, Ki kadosh no, my holiness is higher than your holiness. That's the way it says in medrash. But chasidis learns it, you're supposed to read it not a question. Yachel Kamoni, you would think like me. But you're supposed to read it straight. Kadoshim to you, you should be holy. Yachel Kamoni, you can be as holy as me. Why? ani, because I am holy, and your holiness stems from my holiness. It's, it's the same holiness. So Hashem, what, that's what Shabbos is. Shabbos says, on Shabbos, I go away from the world, I return back into myself. The whole world stays behind. You come with me. and this is the and this is the meaning and this is the reason why, because we're invited into this into this oneness with God, into this very deep, infinite place with God on Shabbos. That's why we set our our clock the same, the same like God. During the six days, God is going to project into the world. Get involved with the world. On Shabbos, he's going to exit and return to himself. So we do the exact thing. Six days a week, we too also work with the world. Six days we work to the world. And what do we do on Shabbos? We exit. Six days you should work. In the external world of action. Like enough, how much as you need for your parnass. On the day of Shabbos, Shabbos Lashem, return to God. To be elevated in the root and in the source of everything. To become nullified to him. And to cleave to God himself. That's what you do. And this is what we mean that you turn face to face. mentioned earlier. Husband and wife, they love each other. But they get all caught up in their activities. She's busy with what she's busy with. He's busy with his business. They're not really looking at each other. They're not appreciating their deep bond that they have. From time to time, they forget about everything, and they have moments of just closeness. That's what happens. Hashem is busy creating the world. We're busy earning a living, fixing the world, whatever we're busy doing. Shabbos, Hashem comes back face to face. I'm returning to what I really care about. What do I really care about? I'm, the worlds aren't interesting to me. You. We, we do the same thing. The whole week we're busy with, then on Shabbos, we return to what we really care about. And what we really care about? Hashem. That's that love, the deep embrace. Face to face means you're getting in touch with your panemius, with the innermost of your soul that's not in your body and it's not involved in worldly affairs. Your inner part of your Nesham is not even involved in your work. It's shut down all week long. It's sleeping. It's not engaged. Shabbos, you return to your deepest point of your soul. And the yearning of God, to be nullified to God, in the innermost of the, not God as He is a creator, but God as God truly is. To experience Hashem as He really is. And that's why it's a sign only between us and Hashem. And the other nations can't, can't have Shabbos. However, the Rebbe says, as much as this is a Shabbos-like experience, we cannot have Shabbos-Shabbos unless we start preparing for it during the week. And that's what he's going to explain now. We have to make have a little bit of Shabbos during the week. In other words, what does that mean? You have to at least connect yourself to this transcendental holiness during the week. If during the week, you become completely absorbed in the creation existence, in the limited existence of creation, and you allow the creation to totally suck you in, and absorb you, and bury you in the creation, come Shabbos, you're not going to be able to free yourself from it. You're going to be like the non-Jew, we spoke earlier. The non-Jew, even though he's swimming in the ain't-so-flight on Shabbos as well, He's oblivious. Why is he oblivious? Because he has no connection to it. So the non-Jew has is going to be is, 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 has, is, is, doesn't have the relationship with it because he's not related. He doesn't know this reality. It doesn't. It, his existence begins only in the Re. It doesn't begin in the in Sof that precedes the Re. That's why. The Jew does begin, but the problem is if a Jew encases himself with such a strong encasement of 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 materialism and the physical world and that becomes all that you know and all that you connect to so even when the ray goes back into the source the Jew still has a kalippah covering him he he doesn't doesn't recognize the ain't self so that's why we need to escape the the limited uh, contracted world even during the week we have to escape it and we escape it through prayer He's going to explain that you can only have Shabbos if you if you if you have a little bit of Shabbos every day. When you have a little bit of Shabbos every day, then when Shabbos comes, you can have a really big, super duper Shabbos. If you have no Shabbos during the week, if your whole week is only weekday, which means total absorption, total entanglement, total investment in in the world without that striving upward and connection to above. Not going to make it. And he's going to explain now it's not only prayer. It's prayer along with mitzvahs. It's, you need both. It's prayer and mitzvahs. A combined effect of prayer and mitzvahs allows the neshama during the weekday to somehow maintain a connection to the Sof. It's almost like you still have a connection. Even though you're living during the week, you're supposed to be in the world. But you're still maintaining a connection. So come Shabbos, you can go there and really be there. You can be totally in Shabbos. If you don't maintain this line of communication, then you too will become creation-like chas like the guy. Come Shabbos, it's not there. It's not there for you. Sadly, let's read it. So, in a sense, in a sense. Shabbos is a big tshuva Face-to-face Prayer is a small tshuva Every time you pray You're also turning away from From the worldliness that you're busy with You're closing everything That's why we're supposed to shut our phones And narrow everything down Now you're standing in front of God So it's again turning face-to-face So tshuva, three levels Tshuva of prayer, everyday prayer Chuva of Shabbos. It's a bigger. It's a bigger. It's a bigger Shabbos. Shabbos is the word Tashem, and then we're going to see Chuva of Yom Kippur. It's the highest return. Level after level after level, of going into the Panemius, stepping out of externalities and getting into panemius. as all the sages have told us, Shabbos, Whoever toils in Erev Shabbos will eat on Shabbos. Two things. It's not just enough to guard... First of all, you have to guard the Shabbos during the week. Secondly, you have to make the Shabbos during the week. By making Shabbos during the week, having a little snippet of Shabbos during the week, you will have Shabbos on Shabbos. You should watch from the weekday to Shabbos. Gamla sakin Two things. First of all, make sure that you don't become khasfashalim darkened in the weekday, that you won't be able to be elevated on Shabbos. So guard yourself during the week. Secondly, create a little bit of Shabbos in the weekday as well. It's two things. One is not a, prepare yourself during the weekday to be able to be elevated. That's for Shamru. Guard yourself during the weekday so that you can be elevated on Shabbos. Number two, how do you do that? says Make a little Shabbos even in the week. And it says actually that the prayers every day—that's the Shabbos of your week. It's the Shabbos time is, is the prayer davening. You daven for an hour every morning. That hour—that's your Shabbos. Make Shabbos for yourself. That it should be real Shabbos to you. And this guarding to make Shabbos in your soul during the weekday. How do you make Shabbos in your soul during the weekday? This is through prayer. Because in Tikkunim it says, What's the hope of Shabbos? Shabbos means you're exiting the world and you're going back into the Eint That's what Shabbos, returning into the Eint Prayer is a ladder that stands on the ground and allows you to climb all the way up to the Eint Sof. Hu It's a ladder that stands on the ground, which means it reaches you no matter where you are in your mundane, even if you're very mundane, prayer is a time that you can step away from your mundane life. And, and clamor a little higher. Go a little higher. Raise your consciousness. Raise your awareness. Reach for something higher. The and its tip it rises in heaven. But there's something else that happens in prayer. Besides for the Jew being elevated in prayer, a Jew is also carrying along with him, also being elevated during prayer, are the mitzvahs that you do. Because by that ladder, and we're going to see, here's the thing what happens is like this and I'm just going to make an interesting illustration when you're going up the ladder you can climb the ladder but being that we're, the ladder has to take you what's, what is Shabbos? Shabbos is Ein Sov God as he is before he even begins to create the world completely Ein Sov obviously to come from creation and climb all the way up to the Ein Sov is a very far journey so I'm sure even if you climb a hundred rungs with your love and your excitement during prayer. Even if you climb 200 rungs, still very far from the insul. So you have to catch a little ride on someone's back. So there are these interesting little creatures that climb the ladder. And guess what you can do? You can hop onto one of them. And that takes you all the way, all the way up to the very tippy top of the ladder, back to the insul. And what is that? Those are the little angels that are climbing the ladder. But these are not regular angels because we spoke earlier the angels are part of stuck in creation. They're, they totally they have no shaykhs to the Sof. These are different angels. These are the mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are called angels. When we do a mitzvah we create an angel. It's a different kind of an angel. It's a mitzvah angel. A mitzvah angel is like this little vroom, vroom, vroom and it shoots and it runs up the ladder and, and the, the soul latches onto the mitzvah. But here's the thing. The mitzvahs have two, have two, go in two directions. It says by the ladder that these, that these godly angels are ascending and coming down. Like Yaakov, when he had the dream, angels were coming down and angels are going up. And I hear the Alter Rebbe's vision of this. The mitzvahs first come down and then they come up. Where they, if they're coming down, they're coming down from the top. What's the top? The top is the Ein Sof. Because every mitzvah is really God. It's mitzvah is God's messenger to, to bring the Sof light to the person. How is a human being that's physical going to tap into Sof? Well, God contracted His infinite will, which is His mitzvah, and He lowered it down, and He put it into a physical formula. Mitzvah is not physical. Mitzvah is ridiculous. Mitzvahs are physical. Mitzvahs are Sof. That's what God did. He formulated to us in physicality so that we can latch onto it while we're down here. He throws us a, he throws us a line. From his ain't soff, he throws into the creek. He says, hey, down there. He yells down to the soul. He says, hey, you hear me? Like He knows that because we, we fell down into this big pit, this infinitely deep pit. So he's yelling from the top. He says, here, catch this. He throws us a line. That's what the mitzvah is. It's like a little angel, he says, coming down. From these godly, it travels through all the worlds until it takes on a physical form. It becomes physical. We do the mitzvah in a physical form. But here's the thing, the mitzvah doesn't move. Once the mitzvah is physical, just like the danger of the nishama, you know the danger, a nishama coming down into this world, what can happen to the nishama? It goes into a body and it becomes Physical. And the Shama loses all sight of the Ein Sov, then the Shama becomes like, it like loses its connection. The mitzvah can have the same problem. The mitzvah comes down physical, and, it, and, and all we see is the physical act. We don't see its, its divine, infinite source. So, prayer does two things. Prayer, when prayer, when a yidavans, he's prayer is the ladder, and it allows the mitzvahs that you did to go back up. Which means, first the mitzvahs come down to give you an opportunity to connect to the Ein Sof. Then, when you pray, you take the mitzvahs you've done, and you reconnect those mitzvahs back to its divine source. And now the mitzvah is carrying the neshama up to where the mitzvah comes from, which is which is Ein Sof. In other words, he's going to put it in other words, beautiful words soon. He says the mitzvah is really God coming down into this world. When we say there's angels, who is those angels? It's God himself coming down into this world, lowering himself down to give us a piggyback ride. It's like a father bending down so the child can jump up. And then what happens after the child is on the, on the on the back, father stands up and he's picked up. The mitzvah comes down enough that we should be able to do it. But here's the thing. After the mitzvah comes down, it requires, it needs prayer so that the godliness that's in the mitzvah can be activated. Or else the mitzvah itself looks just like a physical act. There's nothing like... Like a person gives tzedakah, and to them the giving of tzedakah is just the honor and the fame and the, and the power they get by giving the tzedakah. Suddenly it's just physical. There's nothing else to it. But when the person realizes and he davens, and he yearns to be connected to God... Those actions now make the connection to Hashem. And when they make the connection, they suddenly whoosh, unfold. This tiny mitzvah becomes infinite. Pff, and it elevates the neshama back into the Ainzov. That's right. schematic. So yes. The kavana you do, do you have when do, do a mitzvah? To them? Oh. So here's the thing. The kavana of the mitzvah adds, you're right. It's the wings of the mitzvah, the Alter Rebbe says. The kavana do the mitzvah. But the problem is like this. When we're doing, during the day when we're doing a mitzvah, what's kavanah? The kavana is the excitement to be connected to Hashem. That's the kavana. When I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm, I want to connect to the Abishta. During the day, there's not too much energy in that excitement. Because when we're so involved in the world, we don't feel God. Davening, in other words, let me put it this way, in, in, in Hasidical terminology, the, 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 the kavana of the mitzvah is the avavayira. It's not just the mental thought. It's the excitement. There has to be an excitement. The Alta explains because if it's just mental thought, it's not connecting to action. In order to take connection to action, it has to be emotional energy. Emotion is much closer to activity. I'm not going to get into that right now. but motion. So there has to be an emotional excitement. problem is that when you're five, six hours involved in Gashmias, your heart is in a different place. Your emotions are not. So even if you... You see an opportunity to do a let's say mitzaiam, you have an opportunity to put on tefillin with another Jew, and you do that and you do it. There's not enough energy in that avavira. When is the main point? When is the main part of the day when you really generate real avavihira? That's during davening. So really it says that Davening is the kavana of the mitzvah. The kavanas that we have in mitzvahs all day long is dependent on how deep we Daven. The stronger we daven, which means the more ava we felt, love and awe that we felt during davening, that's the energy that's going to drive our mitzvahs during the day. So really it has to get back to the davening. The davening is the real power that makes the... Because the, what he's going to say is, how does the connection happen to, back to Hashem? It's the yearning to be connected that makes the connection. And when do you yearn to be connected? When you're conscious of God. When are you conscious of God, when you meditate on God, when do you meditate of God? During davening. So in that yearning of your inner, and really, he says it's not stomach yearning. It has to be the yearning of the deepest part of your neshama to yearn for the ain't-self. Because we're talking about now being back elevated to pre-creation, pre-existence. It's the panimia sanisha. And that, you're not, that, that kind of kavana you can't have during the day. Because during the day when you're stuck in your chitzaniyestiga life, you're not in touch with this deep panimiyestiga place. In davening, you can evoke this panimiyest anashama called ruusa deliba. So that makes the connection. So that, oh, so what does that do? It gives you a mini Shabbos during the week. Because even though your general world that you're living in during the week is in the world, you're not up there in the end self. But you have a little connection to it through the mitzvahs that you do, that is elevated by your davening. Then come Shabbos, because you're connected to that place, you can really soar into the ein Sof And have a day of panim be panim, A real in deep connection. That's kind of what the mimer is say. Now let's read it inside. O and the angels <laughs> of God, oylem v'yurdim are ascending and descending Malachiak elikim hem a The Malachim, those are the mitzvist. Shem Malachim they are why are they called Malachim? Why are they called angels? Because an angel is an emissary. Shlucha de Malka, it's a shliach of the king. Come shakas bi stated a medrish tamchuma, parshiz va'yigash. it says over there, Hey Machabdimesa Mitzvis, honor the mitzvis, Shehem Shalukai. The mitzvis are my agents, they're my emissaries. And the, shluach, the shliach of a person is like the mishalayach. It's like the person himself. See, the mitzvahs are agents of God because they come down here. In their source, they're not an agent. They're not a shliach. In their source, they're the very limbs of God. Then as they come down lower, they become like a shliach that he's... But really, it's the limb himself. What does that mean? Why are we calling it a limb? Because he wants to tell us that through a mitzvah, we're tapping into Hashem himself. Not to his creative energy, but Hashem himself. Because what does a limb do? Just like a person's limbs, the soul expands to do its its effect. Any limb. The soul works through the limb. So too through a mitzvah, a certain power of the ain't soul finds expression and is is active and coming through. It's it's being channeled through that limb. Every mitzvah is channeling some other desire of the ain't soul, some other element of God. so that up there it's like a limb of God But as it travels further and further down into this world, it becomes like an agent of God carrying something divine down to this world until it presents itself to us in a physical form. So, Through mitzvahs, there is a revelation of Hashem. Hashem expresses Himself through the mitzvahs. And then, But here's the thing. As the mitzvahs come down here, the physicality of the of the mitzvah covers up on the godliness, to the point that you have sadly people who see mitzvahs just as a program for self self development. There's nothing godly to it. It's like a mitzvah is like it can make you into a good person. It's like that's such a, that's such a shame. It's such a shame that we should use infinitely godly things to make yourself better. You know, but go to uh, you know uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, whatever kind of program that you want to read. Read a self-help book, make yourself better. Mitzvah is not about becoming a good person. A mitzvah is about becoming godly, joining, uning, becoming unified with Hashem. That's what a mitzvah is. It's about an attachment to Hashem. Reaching, becoming connected to the ain't self. So, what elevates the mitzvah back up to its spiritual source? It's through the davening. When we say it's elevating the mitzvah up, it doesn't mean it throws the mitzvah back in heaven. What it means is, it allows the mitzvah to reconnect to its spiritual content, and that spiritual content should be revealed down here in the person's mitzvah. That's the idea. It's not like, oh, it goes back up there, good, then it remains down here, it remains dark. That's not what it means it goes up to the higher worlds, meaning to a place where its godly content can be revealed. And then from there it shines down here in its godly state. Well, Levar Inyan said, yes, depends which Mima you're learning. <laughs> From what we're learning right now, the mitzvahs are higher than the neshama. And that's why the, 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 the neshama needs the mitzvah to connect them to Kodesh elion, to the supernal holiness. The Shorisha neshama, it says, in, is in, in Tihara Hila, in the supernal purity. The mitzvahs are in Kiddishanu, in Kedusha. And Tahara is a lower level than Kedusha. Like we find Leviim, by the Leviim it says, V'tiharta Oisa. By the Kohanim it says, Vikidashta Oisa. Tahara means purity, and Kedusha means transcendence. So the real unification with the utmost transcendental element of the Abish is through mitzvahs. That's our elevator to the Ainsov. I, we said earlier that Nishamas also come from there. Yisrael, I'm just, I'm just uh, The uh, will. All to like, so. That's Torah mitzvahs. But now we're talking about Yidin. You're asking me the, the contrast between yidden. Mitzvahs. Ultimately, ultimately, Jews are from the are, are rooted in the essence, but they need the mitzvah to reveal that. Right. Yeah. Well, to understand this idea, what does this mean that the mitzvahs are agents from the Ein Sof? So the Alter puts it in such beautiful words. Before every mitzvah, the sages instituted, we make a blessing. And why do we say, Asher Kidishanu"? that you have sanctified us by mitzvah, so with your mitzvahs. When we say it you sanctified us, means that through the doing of the mitzvah, I am touching your Kedusha. What's Kedusha? Kedusha is the part of God that we spoke earlier that is not invested in creation. What's invested in creation is the ray. Kedusha means that which is higher. Asher kedishan misalim in the supernal holiness, the Indian who, and the idea is why. The hinek siv it says in the pasuk, ani kiverosh ranon, I am like a fresh, I'm like a moist sapling. A brosh is a kind of tree. Which is soft. It's a very tall tree. But it's not, a, it's not hard. It's still a young tree. So you can bend it down. When you bend it down, and then what happens when you leave go of it? It shoots sh- 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 it sh- back up. Pittish <inaudible> Berosh. Rashi expl- I mean the, he explains the way who Omin Erez is a type of tall cedar tree. It's a type of an Erez. lo lohizkin. It didn't get old yet. So it didn't yet ferment and get hard. Vurach, it's soft, veranon and still moist. it's still fresh, and it's still in its moisture. then you can bend it down. But it's also very tall. So then when you put your hat on it, you put the hat on the tree, you bend it down, or you put some other bag or something on it, and then you leave go, what happens? It takes that which you put on it, and he throws it all the way up to the top. When you brought it down, when it returns back to its firm state, it picks up that thing to a very high place. And this is by Derech ani. Hashem says, I am like a broish ranon. What does that mean? Anid, see, there's two words. There's Anochi and there is Ani. Anochi, same thing. When Hashem talks about him, his, his Himself, He sometimes uses the word Anochi and sometimes He says Ani. What's the difference? Anochi, Ani, and Ani both mean I and it's the same word besides that Anochi has a chaf and the Ani doesn't have the chaf. So what's the difference? Anochi is God when he is in a very exalted state, in a way that no one can touch him, grasp him, and no one can have any relationship. Allah, untouchable. Me is that very, very, very same transcendental, unidentifiable God, but when he humbles himself down, and he, and he bends down very low, so that we can connect ourselves to him. We said before, a father bends down to his child, when the father is standing upright, the, father, the child can never reach his shoulders. When the father bends down to the floor, lets the child climb onto him. And then the father picks himself up back up. So Hashem says, you know what, the Torah mitzvah, that's Ani. Anochi is God himself. Ani is Torah mitzvahs. It's the same Anochi, because why does Aserah Sadibris begin with? Anochi Hashem alukech. It's the Anochi. But it's the Anochi without the Keser, without the Chaf, which stands for Keser. Keser means crown, above the head, not touchable. It's that very crown, Tariyag mitzvah is 613, plus the the seven mitzvahs, the rabbis mitzvahs, is also Gematria Keser. But it's the Keser making itself um, um accessible by coming down here. That's the idea of Ani. When a person says Ani, they're much more reachable than when they say Anoichi. They say Anoichi, no one can talk to them. Ani means, I'm here for you. I'm here, I, but I'm here for you. Torah mitzvahs, that's ani. And what is Hashem saying? Ani kibroi shranon. Why am I making myself ani? Kibroi shranon, like a sapling tree. I am bending all the way down, so that you can jump onto me. And then, I'm gonna take you back up to the kesar, into the crown. It's unbelievable. That's what a mitzvah is. Ani what does that mean the kahru derech msho bkhnasani ki yash bkhnasani no ykhu bkhnasani bkhnasani i am the haynu bkhnas alma diskasya it's god when he is in a concealed world unknowable u and anani u bkhnas torah mitzvah that's torah mitzvah that comes down the torah and the mitzvah which channels Hashem down to each and every one of us bkhnas down y bilokish when the Torah and mitzvahs enclose themselves in physical things, and it limits it, this very, very undefined, unknowable God, why can't we know him? Because he has, he's infinite, he's beyond every description. He himself contracts himself to be very, very described. Why? He contracts himself into 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 a measure. He's like this, he's unmeasurable. Every mitzvah has a measure. You wash Natilat Yadayim, it tells you how much water you need. Revius. Revius. And guess what? When you, when you take a revius, a little cup of water, what do you say? Asher kedishanu mitzvah. When I'm doing the mitzvah with a revius of water, small amount of water, this God that can't be contained in anything, guess what? He just now became contained in this mitzvah of a revius of water. He's there. Because he's a need. In this little, and when I wash my hands, I say, Asher Kedishanu. I am now being connected to Kodesh Elyon because God bent down into this. God bent down into a sukkah. Hashem bends down into a shofar. Hashem bends, and they all have a very limited amount of shoe, even though they're, they're, they're in sof. They come down, it's Hashem bending. Look over there. For This is like the the young tree It bends down below the but then it goes back up the kula. It goes back up to the source of everything. And it takes the Jew with him to that ain't sof place. But Al Tereb says, before it says, now he's going to give a, a parenthetical thought, but a very, very powerful tshuva thought. And he says, just like a mitzvah is like a physical act, it's only physical as long as you do the mitzvah, and then later when you pray, It flings the mitzvah back up and it carries you to immeasurable infinite heights even though you don't even know it. It takes your neshama up there and it throws you up. It throws you to a place that you could have never reached. The same is also, he's going to say, it's possible chas shalom on the other side. Sometimes a person does a little thing that seems to be an insignificant avera. It's not even a thing. It's nothing. And that has the opposite effect. It's also like a slingshot. And it throws the neshama into extreme, extreme darkness. Into a lot, a lot of klipa. And they're very buried. Buried in the darkest place. Far, far lower than where a person's natural state is. One little activity can cast the neshama into the deepest hell hell possible. Deepest separation. There is a sling of Kedusha that throws the Neshama very high, and there is a sling of Klippa that throws the Neshama very low. Why is he talking about it suddenly? Because that very same Pasuk that says, Anikev Reish Ranon, it's really a Pasuk that in Heshe, I think, that's talking about you, Jews doing tshuva from the sin of, of a So Hashem says, I am lowering himself, myself down to allow you to do tshuva. A'ni kiv reish, I'm bending down to you to help you do tshuva. But before that, it says in the Pasuk, before the, in the same Pasuk, Anikev Reish Ranon, it says that you will not say ye amer. You won't say anymore What's the um, veloi ne- oid eloi keinu, You won't say anymore that the that um, idols that are made by your hand that this is your god. Talking about chuva for avodah zarah. used to have. You used to have. A, you made yourself a little idol. A little pesel, a little getchka, and you believed in it. You won't say anymore, more Elokeinu, L'maisa That this is my Yadaynu, the deeds of my hands. That's Elokeinu. That's my God. And then what? Ani kebroysh I am going to bend down like to lift you up from the from that from that avera and to reconnect you. So the Al is going to c- explain that, and he's going to say that just like in kedusha there is Ani kebroysh ranon, there is chas v'shalim this this Indian that a person can do something very small and he might think it's totally insignificant but it's it, it, it carries his neshama very far what is that? the sin of Avodah See so you say yeah, Avodah zara, come on that was done 2,000 years ago who does Avodah zara today? who serves idols today? the Rebbe is going to say yes we're all guilty of it big time it says you will not say anymore elokeinu l'maiseyodeinu. What does that mean? You will not say elokeinu l'maiseyodeinu. Simply means you will not say that this deeds of my hand is my God. But there's another way to say the deeds of my hands is my God. What does God mean? God means power. So if I believe that my business, my work that I do, and I'm a hustler and I'm a doer, and I'm a businessman, and I'm a Chevroman in the stock market, and I'm the guy this, and I'm a pip, and I'm a real Geschichte, I'm a real, I don't know, whatever people use the terms, I'm a real hustler, pip, to perahin. a Chevroman, and I, and that's what's gonna make me a living. Guess what? You're saying, Elokeinu, Lemaisa Yodenu. You're saying your deeds of your hand, whatever business you're occupied with. You're saying that that is Elokehu. That's your power. That's what's sustaining you. It's not true. Every nickel and every every dime and every nickel and every cent that comes into your pocket is given to you directly by God. I spoke about it a few weeks ago in this year. Parnassa. Of course, we have to go out and have a job. We have to go out and do something. But that's only a providing God with a glove. Hashem is giving you every dollar. But you want to give him a glove so he can dress himself up in something and give you through the glove. The glove is nothing. Man, if someone gives you something through a glove or he gives you something without a glove, is there any significance to the glove? It's still him giving. He's giving it through a glove. He says, without the glove, I'm not going to give you. So go bring me a glove. That's your business. It's all it is. Giving something for God to hide his hashbar to give. If you begin to believe for one second that that has power. Now what happens if you have this guy who you've been asking him to help you or whatever? And he tells you, go bring me a glove. So you're searching and looking for the glove. And one time he tells you, "Now come over here, come over here right now. Forget about the glove, come here. And he's ready to write you a check without the glove. But you're not coming. You're still busy looking for the glove. So he says, no, 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 come over here. Forget about the glove. Just come over here right now. I need the glove. He said, ridiculous. The glove is a glove. What do you I'm, I'm telling you, just come over here. That's the conflict when, when, when you have a client or a this and there's mincha to time to daven. And God says, forget about the glove right now. I need you to daven mincha. He said, no, 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 I'm too busy. and I can't have time for mincha now. I have no time for minya now. I have no time for class now. I'm busy getting the glove for you. See what I'm thinking? I don't need it. Now I want you to. When I asked you to get the glove, get the glove. When I don't need you to get the glove and I want you to dava mincha, or I want you to do this, or I want you to do that, stop doing that. And I, I'm the one giving. If you believe that I'm giving, then, then, you, then you can never have your business and your occupation, your involvement, override your ability to do a mitzvah. If it does, it's a sign that you believe. That that is your business, or your clients, or your customers, or this, that's where you get your panasa. That means that you're bowing down, you're saying, keinu, What's so terrible? That's called serving idol. Because what is bow, that's called not just serving idol, it's called bowing down to an idol. Because what does bowing down mean? Bending your head. When, when you believe that something has power, and you invest your brains in it, and because it looks, it seems to you that this is where, and you invest your brains more than God commanded you to do. You're actually bending your brain that's bowing down. Now, can anybody be arrested on idol worship and be judged by the court because he went and he involved himself in his business too much, and that's called idolatry? Absolutely not. Is there, are they guilty of idolatry? Can, you know, with all the punishment that if someone would go into the someone would go into the uh, temple and find the big big uh, idol in front of witnesses and bow down to it and say this is my God, that's considered a real sin. That's considered a real sin. But that's considered a real sin. But if a person believes a little bit too much in his business and he misses mincha because he's busy with a client. Because he thinks that the client has more to say in his success than mincha does. Can he be, can he, can he be judged by a court for idolatry? Absolutely not. So it, it, Al-Tadab is going to say it's very, very, very fine idolatry. It's a very subtle idolatry, but it's idolatry. And guess what it does? When a person engages, every time you do something like that, this activity is opposite of a mitzvah. Just like a mitzvah picks your neshama up and connects it to the Ein Sof, this little avera, which is a form of idolatry, it's because you're believing a little too much in your work of your hands, thinking that this is your source, that this is it, or that is. Without constantly remembering every few minutes, it's only God, it's only Hashem, it's only. You told me to do something, I have to do. But if in any way this conflicts with my with with Yiddishkeit, if it's not kosher in any way. If there's any any kind of cheating, any kind of lying, any kind of, if it's not 100% kosher, then God doesn't want me to do that. Then, it's, then, then I'm, if I'm doing it, it's because I believe that it has power. That means I'm bowing down to it. You know what that does? That's acting like a the opposite of a mitzvah. That's taking the neshama and throwing the neshama in a very dark place. And then a person wonders, suddenly they don't feel, feel. They have no excitement in Yiddishkeit. They feel numb. They feel cold. They feel indifferent. They feel apathetic. Sometimes they don't even realize that why they... They don't, they don't even think about it. Just become like totally burnt out from Yiddishkeit. Why? Because they're wallowing in a lot of klipa. Why are they wallowing in a lot of klipa? Maybe they didn't do a big sin. These little things also have an effect, the altar Rebbe says, to throw the neshama very far from God. That's why the, pasuk, the pasukim come together. Don't say to the actions of your hands that they are no? And then it says... I am like a sapling. That's the opposite of a mitzvah. In a mitzvah, God comes down like a sapling tree so that you can h- hook yourself onto it and He elevates your neshama to the highest place. The opposite chas v'shalem is to give credence to my sayyodeinu, to the deed of the hands. Even though no one looks at it as a big sin, it's also like you know, you're, 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 you're hopping onto this dark tree it's going to throw your soul into the other direction. This is the idea that he's developing over here. Vachain bezel umazan, also so, one opposite the other. Nam of a loin noim at oidale keynu yedenu. Kikamoi shaham mitzviz, just like mitzviz misalim, are elevated. Aidea Allah's panemius, lavavas, klois, nishmi yisrael. When we daven, the mitzviz are elevated back up. Kamaimir Allah be When we daven, we elevate the mitzviz. That's why we say he's our God. Because when we're davening, we're elevating our hearts to recognize and to feel and to sense that while that God is our power in our life, and to Him we bow down, and to Him we are in a state. Because that's what davening is—to recognize that there's no other power in your Total opposite of what we just described. In davening we realize that Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu That only you are my power And therefore my heart My, my allegiance is only with you My desire is only with you And therefore I'm totally nullified to you So the, past, the opposite of that is When I'm not feeling and sharply and sensing that And I start a trip And it happens automatically When you stop davening If you don't daven every day deeply, it's inevitable that you're going to fall into this trap of believing in outside sources that they have power over you. It's impossible. And worshipping other things. It's either you worship God or you worship other things. There's no in between. It's a frightening thought. And every day you need to have deep, deep davening. You have to learn Hasidus every day. And meditate and come to a clear, strong, firm understanding that there's no other power in my life but Hashem. And him is who I want to be close to because he's the only one who has a say in my life. No one else. And I'm unified with him. Then you do business the way a Jew. You do what you need to do very externally and know that God has to send his blessing. God has to send his blessing. That's it. And that's the success. And I only do it as much as I need to because God said so. But Chazal say, Meaning, Omar Azal, the sages say, Pericleth neidieyan. In Mesechta the sages say an interesting thing, a frightening thing. All the Jews who live outside of Eretz Yisrael, all Jews who live in Chutzli Eretz, serve idols. Serve idols in a kosher way, but they're serving idols. What does this mean, who live outside of Israel? You see, when you live in Eretz Yisrael, the land itself is, you see miracles all the day long. You live in Israel, you're seeing divine providence everywhere. In Israel, it's very, it's much easier for a person to to remain mindful that all my success comes only from God, because the miracles are rolling on the street, because the very land itself there's more godly revelation. Hashem is not so obscure, so it's easier to do business in Israel and remember, and constantly look up to heaven and know, you know, Hashem Yazar, God is going to help. It's all in God. It's all in God's hands. The moment you move out of Israel and you learn, you you live in the in the lands of the nations especially in America, we didn't even realize how, wow, the big clipper America is. It's such a ferocious clipper. Why is it? Because America gives you like this total opposite. Everything is in your hands. The Ameri- Live the American dream. You can do it. It's all, you know, you're, you, you know it's all about, you know, get yourself a good education and get a good this. There's nothing you can't accomplish, nothing you can't do. It's all. that's what America has like created this culture of like real 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 sense of like your your destinies in your own hands and and when you, and when you live just living here is living in a, is, is living in a great concealment and you have far less feeling of the of, of Hashem running the world and as a result of that what happens the sages say you're going to serve idols saying it's it's a pure way of serving idols because it's not like you're bowing down to an idol. But it's similar to that. Why? What does it mean to bow down to an idol? Let's understand, when they bow down to this statue, this weird-looking statue, do they really believe that the statue has power? It's not... They never believed the statue. What they knew was this statue represented a certain angel or a certain... They were very much in tune with what's called the the Zodiac. And they used to make these idols that correspond to the Zodiac. And the Zodiac is really connected to various different angels. Were they totally false? No, they were pretty smart. They knew the certain, they knew the map of the the higher spheres. And they knew that what, that the blessings come down through the Zodiac. It comes down through the stars and through the mazel. And there is such a thing, there is a system. What they mistaked was, they didn't realize that these things are completely in the hand of God. They have no decision power at all to make a decision who gets and who doesn't get. They're just like an axe in the hand of the carpenter. The axe doesn't have any decision what to do. So to all these angels are just emissaries. They're completely compliant to God. They can't make even the tiniest move. So what's the point? What do, what do they believe? They believe that if they befriend the angel, and if they offer sacrifices to him, then he'll add money in their pocket. In other words, they looked at the medi- at the mediator as the in- mediator. who's the mediator Is the angel? And instead of seeing him as just a channel, they saw it as an independent power, and that's how they served the Nile. So the alter that said is that's what it means idolatry. You're looking at a mediating power and seeing it as a thing onto its own. So what's the difference if it's a star or an angel or if it's clients and customers? What's the difference? The same thing? It's nothing more. Hashem is giving you the dollars through all these means. This guy is calling you wants 30 boxes of this. This guy is calling you wants 50 boxes of this. And people feel, oh yeah, I got to be uh, the customer, you know, and I gotta make sure he doesn't get insulted and this and this. If he needs something, so I'm going to cut Shabbos 10 minutes short because the guy said, I must have it. Because I believe that, my, my, that this guy is going to decide if I'm going to have money or not. Baba That's not what's going to decide because if, guess what, you lose this customer next week, you'll find a much bigger customer who'll give you 10 times the order. Because God is giving, not the customer. These are all just channels. But when you start looking at the mediums, at the middle things, as if they have power on their own, and you bow down to them, that's the same like idolatry. Philosophically, it's the same thing. Why is it any different? Believing in anything else that has any control over your life, but Hashem, is is a form of idolatry. And in the land of Israel, it's easier to keep your head straight. Over here, our brains are twisted and warped because we're living in a gullus, in a dark gullus. One bows his head like a heaven to stars and the zodiac or whatever. Now, in truth he says, the, the flow of life does come through the stars and through the sun. That that grains grow from the sun. So to all the other word, things of this world, there is no grass, blade of grass down here. Shain like doesn't have a a Kochav, a star from above. Shua mazel. that's the mazel. Shememenu That's where the, the, the thing that this hashpa comes from. But what's the mistake? The mistake is when we give them independent power, when we think they have any power over us. So when a person preoccupies his mind and his heart. Rakpin yana only in matters of this world, and Hashem says, "I Hashem says I do want you to see. To, to, on the other hand, to go and close down the business and go to sleep all day and wait for God to, to fill your pockets with gold—that's also not Hashem doesn't want that. Hashem said I want you, to, but Hashem said I want you to daven and I want you to learn. I don't want you to cut any time of davening and learning, and then you'll go to work. I, if I'm not going to be the 15 hours a day, how am I going to keep up with the competition? God says." I tell you, Davin, learn. You can work six hours a day. I'll take care of it. <coughs> but when a person doesn't do that and he occupies his mind in matters of this world, Kolayyamim all days long, it Berosha, he's taking his brain, Hanishpa to something that is being influenced by the stars, Umazales, and by the constellations. Now you have more than one God. What's the source in your life? Every Jew believes God is is a God. Even the guy who's so entrenched in his business. Of course he needs God's blessing. He goes to the rabbi, gives the check, and hopes, Rabbi, bless me in my business. Rabbi, okay, Rabbi's going to bless you in the business. Pranasa, good. So now he has God on his team also. Not only that, but he has one big God, and there's a bunch of small gods. And the Rebbe says, you, you shouldn't say, they also become Elokeinu, they also become your God. L'mayse yadeinu, to the work of your hand. Kimaisa yadeinu, the work of your hand, shu asa What does that mean? That's your business, whatever business it is. Your business occupation. Nasa mizeb chenas Elohim acherem. This becomes a foreign God. Don't bow down to that, God says. Don't ascribe to it any power. Don't believe that it has any control over you. If, God forbid, we do do that, it's very damaging to our soul. It's, 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 it says in Shmuel, there's something called kafa the hollow of the sling. Simply, kafa is something that is referred to after the neshama leaves this world. Part of a purification is that they take the soul and they put it into a sling and it throws the soul back and forth. Whatever that means spiritually, whatever that means. It's very painful. But the Rebbe of Ahiri he explains that that's not only after a person dies, that can happen during a lifetime. When a person gets, does a sin like this, serves idols, this kalippah grabs the neshama and throws the soul into a dungeon, into a dark place. That's what I said earlier, that sometimes a person has, doesn't understand why suddenly they, they don't feel, feel warmth in davening. They don't feel Shabbos. They don't want to learn. They don't want to daven. Everything becomes cold. Everything becomes like a burden. Every, every aspect in Yiddishkeit feels like so heavy, so like there's no excitement that Yom Kippur is coming. There's no excitement that Shabbos is coming. There's no excitement that Sukkot is coming. You know, go to Simchas Beis or Yeah, should I go? Everything is dead. Everything is numb. Everything is stuck. Why? Chas Shalom. because certain things that Chas cast the soul into a place of extreme darkness. Like a slingshot, it throws it to a very, very far place. And why is it called like a sling? Because, you know, if someone is holding a big, big sling that a person can fit into it, he says, anybody want to happen over here? He says, eh, big deal. What's this? I'm going to go and if he throws me, how far is he going to throw me? He doesn't realize that the sling has the ability to throw something miles away. Uh, it looks like a small little avera, like something that a person just steps, tramples on his feet. But he evan. It's casting the soul The neshama chas is thrown through the sling Lamakim to a very distant place. kechavim, and it becomes as if he's serving mamish idols. Okay, this is all a parenthetical thought that we we're talking about how mitzvahs elevate the soul to the highest heights. It's possible that certain things throw the soul the other direction. Now he's going back to the mitzvahs. Now, we said before, the mitzvah can elevate the neshama to the greatest heights, but we said you need to have the prayer to connect the mitzvah back to its source. Elevation of mitzvah is mainly through tefillah. What does that mean mainly? You, you mentioned earlier, kavana of the mitzvah also elevates your mitzvah to its source. But mainly, the main kavana is during prayer. The azu u'sha'as koisha. Why dafka during prayer? Because the way you connect the mitzvah back to the self is when you yearn for the self. You have to yearn for it. And when is it an appropriate time to yearn for God? When God makes Himself yearnable. When does Hashem make Himself yearnable? When He teases your soul. He reveals Himself a little bit. That's during the three times of prayer, God is like teasing. He's revealing Himself a little. It's a time of revelation above. And when there's a revelation above, it creates the it's the most opportune time for a person to... So he says, see, the beauty of prayer is not just in the effort you put into it. Of course you need to put an effort. But put the same effort in prayer if it's not during the time of prayer. Do it at midnight. Do it any other time of the day. Try to put that same kind of effort. Besides if it's in the 10 days of tshuva. 10 days of tshuva, the whole 10 days is very powerful. So anytime you do, you you try to open it to Hillem in these days and try to get that to it, you'll go much further than any other time because God is very close to you, and Hashem is pulling, He's pull, tugging at your soul in these days. But during the year when it's not et shuva, it's during the times of prayer, especially during Shacharis, the morning prayer. It's an opportune time because the time itself is a time of yearning. The Fishe'oz it reveals itself, and it's elevated, the general heart of the Jewish people is in a state of longing to God, and every individual soul can tap into that yearning, and you yearn along, and the general souls of Israel, with a longing, u'tveka and a cleaving, we turned over the page, and the living God, this is what the sages say, Tfilah is but that's why a tefillah is also in the place of a karban. Tikno. carbon, just like a carbon Because what, so so why what's the similarity to a karban? Because what is it really doing? You see, when you're not when your consciousness is not directed towards God, when the consciousness is not directed towards God, what then happens to a person's heart and a person's cleaving, desires, wants? Comes becomes like an animal. He starts craving the material, physical world. What does davening do? You get to your inner desire. You want to get close to Hashem. And the fire to God burns all the other desires. So it's taking actually... What is, it, what is a sacrifice? Sacrifice is you're burning the animal. That's what you're doing when you're davening. You're burning the, the, the external desires that are in the, in the outer part of the heart. There's all kinds of cravings to worldly delights and pleasures. The inside of the heart burns to God. But until you dive in, you're not uncovering your inner fire to, to, to annihilate the outer fire. So the animal is parading. A person is like a cow. Literally, a cow loves material, physical things and the person loves material, physical things. But when you daven, you burn your cow and the human being emerges. Every time you pray, you cease to be a cow and you become a person. That's pretty awesome. Carbon, just like a so, we so we have to evoke the love during prayer. with flames of fire. Shall of a flame? Misla heves that is inflamed in a person's heart. who believe, because the element of fire is in the heart. Will and to burn and to eradicate by the animals. So now you have your cleaving and your connection. Now the mitzvahs are elevated. That's David. So when you do this during the week, when you do this during the week, combination, mitzvahs and prayer, then you make contact with the Ein sof. So come Shabbos, you're able to actually move Move your residence into the aint Sof. Completely move into God's apartment, the God's place, the God's space. If during the week, however, one doesn't have an, an, an exit strategy, if during the week you don't have an a oxygen pipeline that takes you back, ain't there, comes Shabbos. All you want to do Shabbos is sleep and, and, and eat. Shabbos is just another physical day to relax your body. Nothing deep and spiritual and godly taking place. The person is not experiencing the tshuva of Shabbos, the holiness of Shabbos. Okay, we're going to take a break over here for a few minutes, and then we're going to continue.